Thank you for listening to the Highlander Podcast, where we have conversations about the past, present, and future of the outdoor industry. Thanks to Utah State University's Outdoor Product Design and Development Program for making it possible and for training the future product leaders of the outdoor industry. Learn more about the program at opdd.usu.edu. The Highlander Podcast is sponsored by the Outdoor Recreation Archive, a collaboration between OPDD and USU Special Collections to preserve the history and print materials of the people, products, and brands of the outdoor industry. Follow the archive at Outdoor Rec Archive on Instagram. The Highlander Podcast is sponsored by the Utah Outdoor Association, a business association focused on elevating Utah's outdoor industry through educational programming and events. Their membership consists of Utah's outdoor manufacturers, retailers, outfitters, and guides. Member benefits include networking opportunities, recruitment of talent, and brand promotion. More information about volunteering and membership is available at utahoutdoor.org. On this episode, Yoji Kaneda, a product line manager for Danner Boots, talks with students about his unique perspective as a PLM, key skills to be successful in the field, and a behind-the-scenes look at the dynamic between design development and product management. My name is Yoji. I'm in Portland, Oregon right now, and I'm working with the CrossFit Wear. Um, we have the Danner Boots brand, the CrossFit Wear brand, and the White's Boots brand. Um, I manage mostly the Danner Boots um, lifestyle side and a little bit of the accessories of Danner and lacrosse. So um, that's what I kind of do. Um, please stop me if you have questions. Um, um, I have the chat box open just in case to just let me know when to stop or anything. So um, going to my presentation, um, just wanted to introduce myself here. Um, my name is Yoji Kaneda. Um, I'm from Japan. Um, my hometown is like this place um, right south of Tokyo called Kamakura. There's old shrines and like, you know, great Buddha and all that. So that's where I'm from. Um, I started uh, my career at Kenzo and Loewe. So more in the um, kind of the high fashion industry. So I, I did a lot of retail. I did sales promotion, marketing, wholesale, all that in Japan. Um, then I got the opportunity to work with Gainer in Japan and ended up being in Portland, Oregon here. So that's kind of how I made from Japan to Portland, Oregon five years ago. Um, now I work with lacrosse footwear. Um, and, you know, this is what used to be how the office looked like in Japan or the outside of the office looked like in Japan. This is how it looks like here. So it's a big difference. I've always loved the outdoors, so that's part of a fashion, um, fascination that I had. And like, just the, the the size of the outdoor in the U.S. is just so special, you guys. Like, if you go to like Europe, I mean, it's beautiful, but like, you're in the urban lifestyle in Japan. Same thing. Like, this is this is just such a different thing here. You drive 20 minutes, you you get to this vast outdoors with like almost everything you want to do like if you want to go mushroom picking you can you do no fishing you can and like one of the best rivers and or the best forests in the world um so anyway so that's me in a nutshell and i wanted to talk about Danner boots a little bit so you have a little bit a little bit of the context of what i'm going to talk about when i talk about the products that 
I have a specific product that, that I created recently so that we can talk through that. Um, we started making logger boots in 1932. So we consider ourselves as like a boot company. So like a boot crafter. Um, Bill Danner, um, he's the second generation, but basically built most of the products that, especially the Icon Mountain Light. If you if you guys seen this boot, it's one of the outdoor icons now. Um, we also invented the first Gore-Tex boot. So um, we sold a patent to Gore-Tex later. So we're actually the the um, innovators and footwear as well. Um, this is the 70s. And we also do a lot of military boots along with the outdoor boots. And we do a lot of the work boots. And recently, we introduced a shoe called Mount 600, which is like a hybrid of the sneaker and the classic heritage boot. So we're known to kind of combine all the heritage and putting all the new elements into, um, into products. Uh, we got really popular from 2014 in the movie Wild. So we call ourselves the oldest new company. <laughs> We've been around for 90 years, but um, we weren't on the market, um, especially on the outdoor market. We were very famous on the military and the work side, um, but we weren't um, that famous on the, the outdoor boot side. So this really kicked us off onto that outdoor world. And we also had Double Seven movie um, debut um, right after that. So this is a really cool story because we didn't pay millions of dollars to be in that movie. Um, Daniel Craig was a fan of Dana work boots. He, you know, whenever he does like his home, like, you know, works and everything, he would just wear Dana boots. So he knew the quality of Dana boots. So he was like, can I wear your boots in our movie? Like, of course. Right. Like, so that's, that's how it happened. So building fans throughout is so important. Um, we also still make um, about 30% of our boots in the Portland factory here. Um, if you ever have the chance to visit, Chase, if you have um, any any chance to um, bring your students here, I'd be happy to give a tour. Um, we also have this thing called recrafting. Um, we're known to repair boots, and we're one of the only few companies that can actually repair like the Gore-Tex liner. So when you think about boots, um, repairing is only about the outsole and the midsole, but we also go into the heel canners, um, toe boxes, um, hardware, all that. So we do a lot of that. So that's kind of our boot crafter ethos. So that's where the brand is. And I also wanted to go through some of the timeline. You might have seen this from different brands previously, but it's nice to see what the workflow is. So we start off when we have a new season, we start off with creative offsite. We go somewhere um, to get inspiration or we could go camping or we could go to Canada to see something different, meet the trail hikers or something uh, through hikers. Um, then we do the season line planning. So this is an important piece of the product line management is season line planning. So you have the, you have the sales uh, uh, current sales and you all also want to understand what your future sales goals are and figure out how many products you need like you don't need a lot of products to create generate sales so it's it's really difficult to manage this because it's not about quantity sometimes it is too so it's 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 that that portion is a crucial portion of product line management because that really affects inventory that really affects the the, uh, the balance sheet on, on the company side. Um, then we go into some of the fun projects with the designers, like the seasonal color concepts and the, the overall seasonal concepts. Um, 
our new concept for for spring, I mean, I mean, fall 24 is a high desert. So like we're, we're trying to make colorways that are surrounding those things. Then comes the product brief presentation. So then you think about what types of like inline new color ups you need or what types of products you want to make. And for us, we only create product briefs when we're creating a new family of products or new style that needs investments. Um, so this is where the comes in so it's in the very beginning of the project um then we have the design review so when we hand off the product brief to the designers and the product developers they create the product based on this piece of paper so um it's we don't print them out anymore, but um so that's what we do um in terms of uh, material and after that material review tech pack creation so that's when the product information goes to the factory to start sampling. Then we do color reviews on like, you know, CADs and see which colors are, would, would match the style. Um, then we start doing pattern samples. This is like the, the roughest part of the sampling. So you see this and you freak out. So you don't want to show anybody else most of the time. But sometimes it, you know, the factory nails it in one shot, but like, you know, it's, it's, it's a struggle here. Um, then we get the color samples. We do fit tests to ensure fit and adjust the fit with pattern. Then we do the second prototype and we start doing go-to-market planning with other departments. This is around the time when you have a product that's like showable, like, you know, that, that would probably be sellable. Then you have the prototype three after feedback from the sales team and the marketing team. Then you go to the final go-to-market planning. And what we we do here, this, this this is a little bit different from other brands. We have a three months period of field testing, so um, other brands don't do this. So we do have a very long um, development um, time because of the field testing. So this is when um, we send out boots to boots or products to people that would actually wear them every day for three months, and we get feedback from them and see if there's any product failure and if there's any hot spots on the products. If there's any functional defects that we can improve on, um, this is so. This is the sandal that um, I'm going to present today to you, and we had this big shrinkage um, from um, from one of the testers that was in more of the deserty area, so hot climate, a lot of UV. So um, we're now we we've we've edited the compound like I don't know like four or five times, and now we're kind of dialing it into the final compound. Um, um, then we make the salesman samples. We do pre-lines with the retailers and some of the um, people that would purchase the product. And we go to the mar go to market on the product. So this is kind of the entire timeline that we have at the Cross Footwear. Um, then I do want to talk about what product briefs are. Um, so who is it for? This is very important. Like the product designers, the product developers and other internal stakeholders. These, these are more like the decision makers and the company. So you do want input from the marketing team. You do want input from the sales team. So when I present the product brief, I do present to the designer, developer, and I also bring in the marketing director, international sales director, and some of the key um, account managers and other um, other other people would be within the product department, like your bosses and um, and the material coordinator, color coordinator, all that. So there's a lot that goes in. 
but my my key idea is to get these three people happy. Um, and why do you make product brief? So um, the goal of product brief is to explain what you mean by like an awesome shoe that has really cool features and sells container loads by itself. So that's always the goal of making a product. But um, how do you articulate that into specific words, specific details? That's very important. Like cool is not a description, like fancy or like slim or like sleek. Those are not descriptions. You need to be very precise on what you mean by sleek and tell that to the designers, tell that to the developers in order to make the product. And you also want to make sure that the product will be sellable in the market. So those are the things um, you want to put in in the product briefs. So what do you put in in product briefs? So who is it for? Why are you making that? Like you already have a bunch of products. Why are you making that? So that's a big question that you need to ask yourself um, in creating product briefs. And where to sell is very important. Like would there be people that would be buying those products, which channels are you selling it? Are you selling it just through your direct channels? Are you selling it to wholesale? Are you mainly targeting Europe? Are you mainly targeting Colorado or like the West, West Coast or the East Coast? Like those things are very important. How many are you planning to sell? This is also important because that becomes the sales dollars and that ultimately becomes the amount of um, off that you can spend in development. So in development, you need, especially with footwear, you do need to invest a lot, especially with new outsoles, new midsoles, molds. Those are very expensive. Those are like $3,000 per mold. And if you think about the size range, think if you're making a women's size to a men's size, we make from like women's five up to men's like 14 on the lifestyle category, on the military category, you make it up to 16. And if you have si half sizes up to there, that's a lot of investment. So you need to make sure if you're ready to make that investment for that product. You also need to look at the competitors. Like how would you win against the competitors? That's really important because you do want to win in the market and looking at competitors is very crucial. Um, that doesn't mean that you're copying the competitors. You're trying to find a space within the competitors, most likely. Um, and also, how much dollars are you going to spend on the tools? I talked about that already. Um, and function needs. So this is important, like, you know, comfortable. That's not a function. So you need to articulate that word into different functions that are needed. And specific activities really help the designers and the developers. Is it like a water activity? Is it supposed to be um, quick drying because it's water water friendly? Um, is it supposed to be more waterproof versus breathable? Those are things. There's some some things are contradictory to each other. So you need to make sure which functions you're all needing to um, represent on this product. Um, some of the product component details comes um, adjacent to that. Um, also, you need to understand the investment dollars that you would be getting from the company. So are we getting marketing dollars on this project? So you do want to talk with the marketing team to see if that product idea would actually be marketable for them. So you get the marketing dollars to actually sell that product. So you're also talking with other departments 
not just um, creating the product in your mind, but also making sure that it makes sense for the company or the brand or for the consumers. Um, so that's kind of the product brief in a nutshell. Just wanted to talk about kind of the key players and the roles in um, creating a product. So you have the PLM um, that plans product basically. Um, and you're also talking with a lot of other um, departments, making sure that everything is a, a complete capsule, that you're not actually doing something by yourself. You want to make sure that other, other departments are on board, that you're also working together with other people because you do want to make sure that the products actually get to get to you and be able to sell those products. Um, so logistics are also important. Um, designers, um, designers design product. Um, they also determine materials. They also determine the, the colors. They also determine the, the lines. And they also make, uh, they, they're also the people that make sure um, that the, the product is functional um, in, in its shape. Um, so some brands, we don't, but some brands have technical designers and creative designers. So you have people that are more like, you know, trend focused that are like looking at finishing more. So you're creating something that's aesthetically pleasing. And there's also designers that would, um, do the tech side of it to make sure that the product works as intended. So there, there's, there's, um, various companies, but we don't have that luxury. So we have one person that can also think about aesthetics and um, functions. And we also have the product developers. Um, that person basically takes the designer's drawing or 3D CADs and makes it into a product. So he's working, he or she is working with the uh, factory so that you're making sure that the product is um, created as designed. So those are very important factors that um, that comes in hand with the product developers. Um, there's some external um, resources or uh, impacts that you have from external resources, um, like the end users, like consumers, retailers. This is a key factor in dictating what product you're making. So this is always important to, to look at. Um, every company says consumer first. I don't think every company actually does that. Um, we're trying to be consumer first, but it's very difficult. So I'll talk about that later. Um, many times, um, many brands are retailer first, in fact. So they, they talk with retailers and they're the utmost customer and they sometimes forget about the consumer. So it's very difficult because you're actually selling mostly to the retailers. Um, internal teams are also important to look at. Marketing team, um, you want the product to be marketable. Um, sales team, you want to, be, uh, you want to just you know, make sure that it's sellable and that you have the um, appropriate channels to sell those products to. Um, quality, quality team. Um, we 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 place quality as number one in in the company, and we have a big. That's why we do that three months field test. Um, there's a lot of products that actually don't go to the market because of the field test failures. Um, so quality team is very important. Um, consumer team is also important. We get feedback from the consumer team. I can't talk to every consumer, so that's a big resource for me. Uh, logistics team, um, this is very important. Um, you make a cool product and you end up with the highest duty ever, then it's not going to be sellable. And you also want to make sure that it's um, 
you know, exportable, importable, or um, everything above. Um, so that's that's something that you need. Um, external partners, material vendors are big partners. Um, we we go around like our team goes to Asia just to look for vendors to see, make sure that they can find quality materials. Um, factories are very important too. Um, factory relationship is very important too. We fortunately we have a factory in the Portland um, area, so that's been a great help. But also we also do work with um, a factory in Vietnam, so that's going to be very you know, crucial to, to build a partnership with those people. Uh, and consumer team really helps us there too. Um, external influences, there's friends and competitors. Um, this is something that you always proactively have to go out and acquire. So that's very important too. Um, and users, um, this is something that you really need to look into like the consumer side to understand who your consumers are like how to do that is you first find them you can find them in the actual world you can go shopping and just meet people that wears your product or just meet people that just looks cool these are people that i found on instagram that are wearing your shoes and what i like to do is just you know with your private instagram account go to these people and say hey like I work for Dana. Like, I love how you're wearing your shoes. Like, can I ask you some questions? It's very freaking scary to actually do that. But that's how you, how, you know, in these days to get the most effective consumer engagement um, in hand. Um, and then you engage and learn. Um, we also use some agencies in the past to actually talk with these people to go to their houses and see their their wardrobe and see what kind of booths they have and see what kind of things they're they're fascinated by and those are great things to understand um nike has this room um in their office they this is a new room that they, they created um but they they have rooms where they they have they replicate consumers like houses so they have like target consumers and they replicate the room so that you have it kind of like the Ikea showroom, basically. You have the furnitures and you have the wardrobe and you have the stuff that those people would 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 um, collect. So, um, yeah, I heard they have like few danners in there. So I'm pleased that they'd actually look at us, and, us as uh, competitors there. Um, but anyway, so looking at consumers is very important and also actually engaging in working together with them is very important. So if you have, if you find people that are, you think is worth um, working together with, they become great partners. Sometimes it's really hard to understand what the consumers are talking about. Um, so you do have to decode what these people are talking about. But by doing this, you start to gain all these hints and um, things that could be um a great value for the new product creation process. So then comes inspiration. You also want, always want to be inspired with new things um, or not even new things, just new things, but everything around you. Um, so like trend, finding trend is very hard. And this is um, the toughest part with a lot of the PLMs that I see is that, um, you know, getting a good amount of inspiration. 
um, what I'd like to do. Um, this is how I met Chase, but um, you know, archives are a, a great value for me because we're a 90 year old company. We have a lot of archives, but I also like to dig into some of the old REI catalogs. I was looking at some of the REI catalogs in the sixties when we brought that mountain light boot. Um, I should have put it here, but um, they were selling, you know, full on like Austrian, kind of outfits with like feathers um and like you know those like hats and stuff so anyways like trend is really funny but like it's looking at those past is also very inspirational and you also want to look at trend and competitors you know you see like this was this this was a while back but Saucony made this like shoe with all natural materials they didn't use glue on this shoe that was like super cool like you got inspired you're not really making if, if you're not even like making these things but like you know it's just inspiring to just look at these things um then trend fashion trends or whatever relevant trends there are that's going to be important like it could be sports it could be you know other activities but trend is very important for me i do the lifestyle category so fashion is a big piece in terms of understanding trend and what people are wearing um and also looking at consumers all the time these are you know and there's also, you know, people say, you know, use that word influencers. I do not like that word much, but, you know, there's people that are very cool in the world and you do want to engage with those people. So these are some of the influencers that I've, I've seen and met on Instagram and Pacific Northwest, because we're a Pacific Northwest brand, we always look into the Pacific Northwest, go outside to get inspiration this is very important in terms of what we do here um so that's kind of the bulk of what goes into the brief and want to go into the actual brief itself um so this is a, a product i made for spring 23 it's not out yet but you can find them on like footwear news and stuff so i thought i just like you know show that to you here um so in terms of when you're making new products, oh, you, you start with kind of the, the development name here. So we wanted to we wanted to use the streamers because we wanted to make a river friendly product that, um, and we thought streamers kind of cheerful name too. <laughs> and um, then we start with like, do we need new moles to actually create this product? So we, we talk about moles and the costs associated with it. Then we start with kind of the purpose of the product what is the purpose of the product um then you you want to figure out what what the the priorities are too like are you trying to make a product that's you know price point are you trying to make a product that's aspirational are you trying to do both like those are the questions that you need to ask so what are the priorities in making the product um so we do put priorities here um and we also talk about how that fits in the market um the market is very crammed, especially in the outdoor industry. And it's for us, what we try to do is find a gap between the two worlds. Um, for this product, we were trying to find, we, so I started using a lot of those um, recovery sandals. That was basically the starting point of this new product. So we wanted to make a recovery sandal for dinner. Um, and I wore recovery sandals everywhere. So like you want, you want, you want to start using those products in order to make those products. So I was, um, and, and Danner Japan, um, they, they make their own licensed products, um, but they already had a recovery sandal from a few years back. So I was, I was trying those on. And it was amazing. 
Um, it was really comfortable. I go fishing with it and, you know, change from waders to like, you know, recovery sandals or just like, you know, if you're driving far, then, you know, I'm just wearing my recovery sandals and like have my shoe in the trunk or something. So that I started using that. And at the end, I was like hiking on recovery sandals because I wanted to see how far I can go with those things. But um, then I noticed that there's some um, certain things that I didn't like about that product, which was um, that it lacked a lot of the grip side of the thing. So I, I went camping with my daughter. I was carrying a big cooler bag and there was a little slope that goes to the camping site. I was slipping because I didn't have enough grip. I go fishing and, you know, I, I get really wet on the pavement with the waders and um, I changed the slippers and it just started slipping. And like, those are things that I was like, aha, like I could probably improve this. So those are like aha moments that you, you really bring, um, think about and, and talk to other people like, you know, the marketing team or the consumers and say like, what if we had this? Like, you know, people were just so excited about hearing Dan are making recovery sandals. So that was one thing. And like a lot of the recovery sandals had disclaimers, like, you know, it only lasts for three months, but we wanted to make something that lasts longer so that you can actually, you know, wear it for multiple years. So that was one thing that we wanted to do. Um, then you, you want to think about the price tier. Like, you know, you see the market where you want the pricing to be technology. Like what is the technology you want to put in this product? Like the specific stuff, like, you know, quick drying materials, like convertible straps, we make these, but um, you start putting these in styles. And you also want to think about the offerings. How many uppers are you making? How many, um, how many, um, are you making both genders, men's and women's? Is it just men's? Is it just women's, um, women's sizing? Um, or do you, how many colorways are you making? How many in total are you making? That's going to be very crucial in target region. Um, and then you talk, talk about the last. Um, last for where is very important. That's the, 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 the shape of your foot, basically. So we talk about that. And talk about the specific components. I worked a lot with designers and developers before I hand off the brief. So we almost have a consensus before we go into the product brief. So we're almost presenting it together. So we talk about specific details on what materials we're using, what kind of new, um, new components we want to try, not what kind of new um, constructions we want to try. So we all talk about that based on the functions and the needs. Um, then we also try to make mock-ups or like, you know, try to pull out some competitor reference or even make like easy sketches to, um, to, to see, to, to talk, to show to like the marketing teams and the sales team, what the product is about, because you do need to be visual to a certain extent. So, um, this is a PowerPoint mashup of the Japanese, um, Danner's Danner Japan sandal and, our mega grip tooling. So we already have this mega grip tooling. So we use this and kind of added it. And it, it basically is the product we made. Um, and also we talk into more of the softer side of the, the inspiration. Um, the design aspiration actually first came from the through hikers. We talked with a lot of through hikers in the Pacific Crest Trail um, because we, we were talking about some of the, uh, we have this product called the Trail 2650 that was inspired by the PCT. And we talked with these people and we noticed that a lot of these people carried Crocs um, to cross streams or just to relax. You know, they, they were carrying that extra pound 
just for that luxury. And that was like, you know, an aha moment too. And we were like, yeah, we want to make something that works for these people that is rugged enough for these environments that is, you know, more stable than what Crocs offers. So those are the, the inspiration, but there's only like, you know, I don't know, less than a thousand people, maybe a thousand people that goes to, you know, goes through through hikes. So that's not a big market. So that's more of the aspiration side. That's not the actual market that we're selling to. So, but this is more of the actual target consumer that we're selling to. Um, so we talk about the age, gender. It's really difficult to really hone in on age, gender, but this is more of a reference. Um, and we, I think the activities, regions, function needs, these are very important. These come out from consumers we talk to. Um, like the, you know, the actual activities really help create the product um, because those are the things that the designers really think about in order to make products happen. So this is, you know, this is the brief. And then we have some um, things that would help the brief. So we always make competitor maps. Um, I always like to make a grid. You don't have to make a grid. But this really helps in understanding where the product lies. We notice that comfort sandals or the recovery sandals. We had this one camp that's like fully recovery after running and all that, that lasts for like three months. And that's super cushy, really soft, lower price point. Then we also have the actual sandals that are outdoor sandals or more like kind of in between with more grips and more pri higher price points. We wanted to make something that has a much better traction than actual like, you know, the Chacos and the Tevas, more traction, um, but more with more lower price point and um, both options of the hands-free and the secure fit. We did not end up making this because we could not get it, you know, properly go through the, the field testing phase. Um, so that's the competitor map. Um, and we also think about where that product lines within the product families that you already have. So we have all these slippers and sandals. So we place all these products in different price points. And this is where we wanted to make the, the new products at. So this is kind of the target price point that we um, initially placed. And then I always work with, um, I like to give designers inspiration with the companion gear. So these are some of the companion gears that would go along with the product. You know, you think about the target consumer. So this is kind of the kind of deepening that target consumer mindset. So trying to give them what kind of products these people would be carrying then i'll also have this like vibe thing that i want to give to the designers so that you have this overall feeling of who this consumer might be so this comes from like research with consumers or it could be from other resources but this is something that i th these intangibles are so important in giving what you actually mean that you can't express with words so this is what I do with the, um, the product brief and that's the product brief. And this is what came to life. And, um, you know, we, we have the comfort upper and we, we have this EV, I mean, Vibra mega grip outsole, like it, which is unheard of. There's no recovery handle on the Vibra grip, but we were also able to, um, place it at $75 despite the, the supply chain price increases. So I think we did a pretty good job. Um, one disappointment is that we didn't, we couldn't get the um, 
the duty we wanted on this product. Duty is also important to think about if it's an imported product. Um, and duty rulings are very, very vague. So um, there's a, do you guys know um, this term called foxing? It's on balkanized shoes, like bands. It's like the, the converse too. It's like this strip on the side of the shoe. Um, to, to protect converse, like the industry, um, they, they made a rule that foxing like bands are not, are, do get high um, duty. And they said, this looks like a foxing. So <laughs> I got a, I ended up with a high, higher uh, duty rate. So that was one mistake made, but, um, otherwise I think it came out well. So, um, so that, that, that's, that's how it came to be. And I just wanted to give you a recap on, on what you need on, on product briefs to be successful. Who are you making for? Are you making it for yourself? Are you making it for the consumers? Because you do get trapped in making products you want to make sometimes. And that's, that's always difficult. But you always, you always do also want to be passionate about your product. Always learn and trust yourself. Like, because, you know, trusting yourself is very difficult, especially in the beginning. And you, and in order to do that, you need to talk with consumers. You need to interact with consumers. You need to make sure that you're on track. Otherwise, you you probably can't trust yourself. Um, and always absorb new cool stuff um, around you. Um, find things that are within your friends or outside your friend zone. So, you know, always absorb. Um, look back and learn, you know, past success, look at sales really closely. I look at the sales every day. Um, and that's very important. Look at consumer reviews on our website. Um, there's a lot of learning that you can have there. Um, you know, those are many consumer interactions that you have there. And always think about the next steps. Um, and this is also, this is what I learned from my old boss, um, Ethos and Pathos. Um, successful products always have this balance, this perfect balance between the ethos and the pathos. You can't be too logical. You can't be too emotional. You have to have that nice emotional feel, but also have that logical um, explanation of that product. So that's kind of where um, I feel is very important in product making. And that's all. Thank you. Um, I was wondering... Um... Like just how you like the company at Danner, like what's their environment like? What are their values? Stuff like that. Yeah, that's a great question. So um, we place value and quality the most because we, we are proud to be boot makers and that, that is the mindset. So our quality um, standards are insane. So I do the lifestyle category, but my materials, my products are tested against um, our standards, which is higher than uh, the U.S. military specs. So um, that's pretty hardcore. Um, so we're, we're a quality first company and um, we are very flexible. Um, so we, you know, every time like, like this recovery sandal, it's a wild idea for like a boot maker. Um, but people are receptive. And as long as you explain why and how you're going to make this successful, people will support you um, till the end. A question that I have is, what is your work like? Do you spend a lot of time on your computer? Are you out talking to consumers? Are you in meetings a lot? What What is your work kind of like the week like? Yeah, so... Um, 
we've been remote for the longest time through COVID, but the product team went to the office a lot because we do touch samples a lot. So we do need to be kind of, we, there's so many tangible things that you need to go through, like materials, you need to touch it to really see and understand what the materials are like. So we do spend a lot of time in the office and the factory. Um, our factory is, you know, basically across the street. Well, it's like a two minute drive. But, um, so I go to the factory a lot, maybe once or twice a week. Um, and because I do accessories um, and we don't have the product developers and designers for accessories, I go to like, you know, the, the people that make um, the, the key shirts and all that. So, and I also go do special products. I also do a lot of these collaboration projects that we do. And um, those require some special needs. And I was trying to print on DWR coded Kajpurtura. So I've been through like five different silkscreen printers and like, you know, trying to find the embroidered vendor that can, you know, stitch through our leather late leather pieces and everything. So I do spend a fair time, fair, fair time outside, but I do spend a lot, a lot of time in front of the computer because I do have a lot of meetings throughout the day because I meet so many with so many departments every day. Um, from marketing sales to like the, the, the consumer team and the, the quality team and everything and, and also the product team. So um, my day consists from like, you know, basically from night of like around three, I get like meetings throughout. Then I try to find time after that to do emails and like, or before that to do emails and all the presentations and everything that I want to do. So I do spend a fair time, fair amount of time in front of computers. Okay. My question is, uh, what are some like factors that help you decide whether a product can win a market or not? Um, that's a tough question. Um, you basically don't know. So what you want to do is be as confident as you can um, before you get to the result phase. So that's why you want to talk with the consumers. That's why you want to talk with the retailers. That's why you want to look at the competitors and see if that product would be relevant. Some of you know the mistakes that I've made in the past, I had this product called the Katrine. It was the it was a knit upper shoe that we made. And because we have an 18 month um, development timeline. Um, so when by the time you release the product, um, you already need to have sequels in case in case that is successful so i made sequels and the first one didn't sell so i just kept on failing so there's 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 things like that and that was one of my first that was my very first product i didn't interact with the consumers enough and those were probably probably the failing factors of that you know i talked with the marketing team and the sales team they thought it was a cool idea um but like it didn't you know resonate because you didn't do all that due, due diligence in the beginning. So um, those are talking with consumers is crucial. Uh, what would you say you think are some key strengths or skill sets you need to be a successful product line manager? Mm, I think it depends on the style you do. Um, you do need, so you need to be very good at data analysis. I think good PMs all have really good data analysis skills. Um, so I'm really glad that I went through all that through college and, and, um, the first days of my career doing sales analysis and all that. 
Um, that's very crucial. And also you need to be very curious in terms of products, materials. You need to be geeking out on products. That's very important. And you also need to be very interactive with people. You need to be, you need to be friendly or, you know, have to be friendly, but you need to, you know, talk with these consumers in order to do that. You need to have that skill of opening them up and trying to, you know, get more out of them. And same with other departments, you know, you need to talk with all these other departments and you need to build that relationship. So that's very important. I was going to ask one, as far as with the design brief and you're putting that all together, does some of the initial inspiration for what the product should be come more from you than the designer itself? Or does the designer have the freedom to just like, yeah, I know what you kind of wanted, but I'm going to do my own thing. How much, how yeah. much do you get to drive the, the designer to, to where they end up going? Yeah. So, you know, I'm from Japan and I think the, the, the struggles that I found in the States is that you do have strong boundaries in Japan. You, the, the jobs have like less boundaries, but in the States you have more boundaries. And I felt that when I came here. Um, so in the beginning, it was like, you know, I would, do the brief presentation and the designer would just, you know, design the whole thing. And, you know, I wouldn't be able to touch it, but, you know, as you build relationships, you start to kind of, kind of fade those a little bit. Now we have a, we call ourselves the trifecta, but me, the PLM, the designer product developer, we're always together. We always talk together and we always talk about cool stuff and we always, um, you know, ask each other for opinion on design, on product briefs, on development. So we we blur the the those boundaries, and I think that's when you truly get the best results. Is when you start talking to each other and giving um, opinions or you know valuable opinions. You know, critiquing is also important. Um, you're not like critiquing is a difficult skill too. So you need to be sure that you're not like saying that i don't like this you're you're talking about um specific things that would be valuable for them to hear because i don't like this doesn't really mean anything to these other people so it's it's very important to have that team skill all right got time for probably one two more questions So like at the beginning of your career, did you want to become a product line manager? And also like, because I feel like in my perspective, a lot of product line managers had to go through some sort of other position, like a developer or designer to get where they're at. Where, what would you like give advice to us if we wanted to become a product line manager? What steps would we need to take to do that? Yeah, I think there's, different ways i'm i'm i didn't go through the normal path but i think what's important what i think was valuable for me is that i went through retail and actually had these consumer interactions so that you know you're selling the actual products to these people and that was so valuable in terms of the skills that i have now and um so i think you know going back to the important skill sets um data analysis is so important so like you know trying to find a job that helps you learn that is really good and um 
building those skill sets. And also, if you have the chance to go to retail, you know, even just part time, I think that would be a super valuable experience because, you know, that's a, the, the shortest way to learn how consumers take in products. So um, those two, I feel like would be the most important thing in becoming a PLM and always be curious and um, try to find a company that is willing to talk to you. Um, um, our company before the pandemic was so much easier for like the consumer team to talk to me um, when they're interested about products and all that. So it was like those casual conversations that really um, made those people curious. And um, we, we definitely um, have some PLMs and designers that came from our consumer teams, our returns team um, from our quality team. So we try to find people within the companies to try to find people, companies that um, promote people internally and find job roles that would help um, to, to, to get to your, um, dream job, I guess. So. so on that note, Al's like always has open positions on the sales floor in different categories. So I would, I'd start there for sure. Sounds good. Well, I think we're just out of time. So let's give our guest one more round of applause. Thanks for listening to the Highlander podcast. For more conversations with outdoor leaders, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, Watch episodes on the Outdoor Product Design and Development YouTube channel or on opdd.usu.edu slash podcast. Follow along on Instagram at USU Outdoor Product and let us know how you're enjoying the show.